हिरोइक टेल्स ऑफ बांग्लादेश मुक्ति संग्राम बर्थ ऑफ अ नेशन एपिसोड टू टू फ्रंट वॉर एंड अप हिल टास्क रिटन बाय रिटायर्ड मेजर जनरल नितिन गडकरी शीतल करंदीकर क्षितिजा नाइकरे नरेटेड बाय शैलेश महापणकर श्रुति इनामदार क्षितिजा नाइकरे एंड सागर नाइक एपिसोड टू Rabindranath Tagore in his poem From the Depth of Truth has interpreted how fierce every war is The war drums are sounded Men force their features into frightfulness and gnash their teeth And before they rush out to gather raw human flesh for death's lather they march to the temple of Buddha the compassionate to claim his blessings while loud beat the drums ratatat and earth trembles they pray for success for they must raise weeping and wailing in their wake severed ties of love plant flags on the ashes of desolated homes devastate the centers of culture and shrines of beauty mark red with blood their trail across green meadows and populous markets and so they marched to the temple of buddha the compassionate to claim his blessings while loud beat the drums ratatat and earth trembles this poem gives us a heart-wrenching interpretation of the war but who wants war who asks for it every struggle against injustice ends up in a war whether anybody wants it or not few have to pay the price of the war with their blood today even after 50 years the slogans chanted in the assembly of dhaka are echoing in my ears amar shonar bangla joy bangla joy bangla amar shadhinta sangram amar mukti yuddho i remember that day like yesterday the memories in my mind are so fresh that enthusiasm that encouraging participation that spirit of sacrificing anything for the nation those were extraordinary times let's have a quick recap of the earlier episode before we go ahead in the last episode we heard about pakistan's partisan politics for acquiring power how the people of east pakistan were looked down upon West Pakistan started slaughtering the hapless Bengali people. India gave a shelter to the refugees who came into India, helped and supported them as much as possible. India was under a severe economic stress and strain, and everything has a limit. The Indian Prime Minister gave enough hints to Pakistan to stop the genocide and make conditions for refugees to go back to their homes. but pakistan was indifferent to india's pleas having realized bearing soviet union india did not have any support from any foreign power it was clear that india had to go to war with pakistan to find a solution india had pakistan on both the sides yet geography on both sides was so different they are such different regions on one side there were high mountains extremely difficult terrain of the himalayas and on the other side there were swollen rivers preparing for a war 
the planning, making the strategies is a very crucial aspect of the war. And it is certainly not as exciting as listening to war stories. But to understand the overall context, it is essential to understand the degree of difficulty involved in fighting the 1971 war. Was it really feasible for India to go to war in April of 1971? Not at all. To go to war at such a short notice? A war is a sucker of resources. Manpower, material, time and wealth. There are so many things to plan for and arrange. Going to war in April of 71 was not a feasible option. However, war was the only option available to stop the atrocities of the Pakistan army on Bangla people of East Pakistan. Let me reiterate that going for war was imperative but not our first choice. We could clearly see that the war was unavoidable. So, if there had to be a war, it required serious and meticulous planning and preparations. The impeccable planning by Indian commanders is what made this war an unforgettable chapter of our history. You may ask, when did the preparations for war start? Do you remember the conversation between PM Indira Gandhi and Field Marshal Sam Manikshaw on the 28th of April? It was clear after that meeting that we will fight the war. It started immediately thereafter. We were short on war-like stores, including ammunition. We started preparing for an inevitable war in full swing after that meeting. In Islamabad, the rains had just stopped and the winter was settling in. It was the October of 1971. The top Pakistani army officials kept visiting General Yahya Khan's residence in Islamabad for over a week now. Even today, there was a meeting planned. General Yahya Khan was sipping a cup of tea before he could join the meeting. His face reflected his arrogance and intent to go to war with India. Bravo! That's what I was talking about in the meeting. A two-front war. That is what we need to save East Pakistan from falling into Indian hands. I have to do what India does not want. We are fighting since March in East Pakistan. The monsoon has come and gone. After fighting for so many days, our soldiers are now fatigued. The people of Mukti Bahini have kept them up and running. Also, India has kept up the pressure from borders of East Pakistan. The Indian army feels that they can defeat us with the help of Mukti Bahini. <laughs> Very little do they know about us. We will gather all our forces and attack in the West. It will compel India to divert their forces to meet the challenge in the West. India's attention would be divided and this would stop them from securing a clear victory in East Pakistan. By then, our friends from the West would have intervened to stop the war and East Pakistan would be saved. After an in-depth study, we now understand 
that India is a strong enemy, but we surround them from two sides, both the east and from the west. The Bangla refugee problem is on the rise in the east for India. If a war is to be waged by India, it will be in East Pakistan. Then what about their western boundary? They think we will be resting while they attack us in the East Pakistan? The area on their western border is well known to us all. We have experience of this region as a result of the war six years ago, which we nearly won. Because of us, the Indian army is stuck in Jammu and Kashmir. Also, India has other enemy, China. Indian army has to guard Ladakh, Sikkim and Nefa at all times. Siliguri is their softest spot in the east. They cannot afford to leave Siliguri unguarded because of China in the north and us in the south. To add to this situation, they have the insurgencies that they have to manage in their northeast. These internal insurgents have made our work so much easier. We have to make the most of the situation. The entire world is supporting us, be it America, China, Saudi Arabia, Libya, Iran or Sri Lanka. The smaller countries around India will not provide them any support or aid either. This is an opportunity for us to show the world that India is nothing but a big bully. Achieving smaller objectives will suffice. Even if we capture Amritsar or Firozpur or Ganganagar, it will serve the purpose. Or an even smaller area in Punjab or Rajasthan. Few small villages around the border. Everything will come to standstill in India as politically they are very sensitive to any loss of territory. They will be forced to come down on their knees in front of us. Then the truce will benefit us. But all of this can be achieved only if we act fast and do not lose the surprise element. If you waste time, then this is not achievable. However, we will make the most of the situation. If India attacks us first, then we can approach United Nations and complain about India. Our ambassadors will convince the UN and finally the world that India is the aggressor. This will build world pressure on India and they will have to climb down. This will divert India's attention to the West and we shall have less to tackle in the East. Hmm. Forget East Pakistan, even reaching the towns in East Pakistan will become a distant dream for India. We will have enough time to deal with Mukti Bahini once the truce is successful. We will crush the Bengalis in no time once the soldiers in the East get help from West Pakistan. In any case, we have to keep Dhaka safe. If it all goes as we have planned, then it will be easier for Niazi to handle the situation and fight there. Our intention is for the war to continue for a longer duration. Let it get stretched. We have the Americans backing us. Hence, we will have no financial stress. That is definitely not the case with India. Two-front war is the way to go. But we have to open the Western Front at the right time and in the right manner. Everything will fall in place then. We are a little weak in naval power, 
but we have more numbers of submarines. We'll use the submarines to counter India's surface ship strength. It should be interesting naval battle. Our sabre jets will terrorize the sky. There is no reason to worry about. In the meantime, if ISI keeps India busy in the internal terror activities, then the war is a piece of cake. Indian army can keep themselves busy playing childish games on the bridges of East Pakistan. This is brilliant. We have found ways, even though we have many limitations. We are on the right track. And now, this is the final plan. Pakistan was planning to start a two-front war, capture the small objectives in the western region of India, and possible UN intervention on Pakistan's behalf. India will have to accept a ceasefire. This would help Pakistan save East Pakistan from falling into Indian hands. This was also the Indian commander's appreciation of the Pakistan's overall strategy. India had no experience of any war on the eastern front of Pakistan and little knowledge of the terrain there. The understanding of terrain is essential to understand the difficulty of planning operations, especially in the East. We will look into that a little later. For now, let us see what is happening in West Pakistan and how is Yahya Khan executing his intentions that we already know about. Geographically, West Pakistan gets divided into three parts. The mountainous region at the north in the state of Jammu and Kashmir. Operations are difficult in these mountainous regions. The river in terrain that starts immediately after the mountains end. The biggest river in Pakistan is Indus. Many rivers originate in the mountains and flow into Indus. The most important ones are Ravi, Satlaj and Bias. They have a huge bearing to the operations in the west. The major tank battles are likely to be fought in this area. The third is the desert region that starts after the plains and direct ends at the Sin Sea in south. This region is next to our Indian states of Gujarat and Rajasthan. They are vast expanse where cross-country movement is possible for mechanized forces. They are not fiercely guarded. Mathematical analysis of these areas tell us that on an average the mountainous area along the border contributes to be 37%. The plains are 17% and the desert makes the largest region contributing to a massive 43%. All these divisions are important. However, the 17% plains are the most important for the army to maneuver. Infantry, artillery and armor can easily get around these places. Secondly, it is easy to send supplies to the army at such places. The region between the Ravi and the Satlaj rivers in the north, that is, the region near Shakargarh Amritsar, is very important. One more important thing to look at is the strength of the two strongholds on the western border. In terms of infantry and artillery, there was not much difference between the two sides in the west. We had 15 divisions of infantry, whereas Pakistan had 10. Pakistan had two armoured divisions compared to India's one. We had four independent armour brigades and one independent mechanised infantry brigade. So, the numbers are four and one. These numbers for Pakistan were three and three. 
the biggest difference was about the air force we had 24 squadrons of fighter jets and pakistan had 13 fighter squadrons india did come across being stronger however pakistan's fighter jets were technologically superior winning the air battle depended on how effective were the pilots of each air force Let's now have a quick look at the naval resources overall. We had one aircraft carrier, three destroyers, 16 frigates and three submarines, while Pakistan had one cruiser, four destroyers, one frigate and four submarines. What was our strategy on the western front under the leadership of Chief of Army Staff Sam Manekshaw? The army headquarters was abuzz with activity the staff officers of sam manekshaw had already begun their study observation and analysis meetings with air force and navy commanders were in full swing in their office in new delhi winter was slowly setting in and the chill of the weather had begun sam manekshaw had his eyes focused on the meghna river but at the same time it was absolutely necessary to keep watch on the ravi river too how was he exactly feeling what was he going through in such a situation of dilemma what could he be thinking of offensive defense aggressive defense pakistan will certainly turn to the west while we have our attention focused on the east they will attack us in the west for sure should we wait for them to attack or should we take the initiative our problems are increasing with the influx of refugees increasing daily but if we do attack pakistan first they would deem india the aggressor and would take us to the un the world opinion would be with them The UN intervention would stall our operations in East Pakistan and our objectives would not be achieved. <sighs> This is our dilemma. One thing is certain, we cannot focus on East alone. Practically speaking, considering the terrain of West Pakistan, we are prepared and have enough force to stand any attack from Pakistani forces. After an analysis of the terrain a few things have emerged if at all pakistan attacks it will attack in punjab or places like jaisalmer or near ganganagar in rajasthan we can station our mechanized formations there our forces are well prepared to respond to the attacks of the pakistanis come what may We have to guard our borders at whatever cost. We shall not repeat the same mistake that we made in 1965. However, it is not as easy as it sounds. Fighting war on two fronts would be difficult. We will have to juggle our forces. We we are running short of fighting formations. not that pakistan is in a better position 
but they have a home advantage in east and better terrain advantage in west for us holding on to our territory in the west while we capture east is the best strategy i'm confident of holding the western front dhaka is an important city in the east it is the center of gravity but is it possible for us to capture dhaka in 2 weeks or should we capture places like chittagong khulna mongla which which are also sensitive and thus cut off dhaka and make its capture redundant this is my dilemma but i must do what is in the best interest of our nation to free east pakistan and allow the birth of a new nation now what exactly was decided in army headquarters is impossible for anyone to know but one thing was quite clear that we had to fight a war if we do that pakistan who has no interest in starting a war will open up both the fronts to divide our forces we need to be on the offensive in the east a major challenge in this was that india had never fought on the eastern front till date the eastern region was very different from the western region of pakistan from the military point of view we were on a unfamiliar terrain the planning and preparation had to be perfect with no scope for any flaw for time was at a premium a detailed and careful planning was being done in the eastern command headquarters at kolkata the latest and updated maps of bengal province were summoned and spread out on the table help was sought from the border security forces raw ex foreign officers etc help about the topographical layout began to be sought from refugees too terrain analysis began after a minute study and verification of every detail received from these sources there is a network of rivers in east bengal but it is quite different from the rivers which flow in punjab region of west pakistan the main rivers in the east are meghna which flows from the east jamuna that is brahmaputra flowing from the north and padma that is ganga which flows from the west there are hundreds of tributaries which meet these rivers all these rivers and tributaries finally meet each other and flow into the bay of bengal in the southern coast of east pakistan all these rivers are hundreds of meters wide at some places one cannot even see the far bank most of the area of east bengal is low lying the region where the rivers meet the sea forms a delta this region does not have a continuous patch of land because of the constant play of high and low tides hardly 10% of the land is actually habitable each of the islands is separated from the other this is the reason why this region is almost inaccessible in east pakistan or bangladesh it rains heavily from may to september the entire region is flooded with water throughout this period and then it takes weeks together for the land to dry up at such times the commutation through roads is the only option any cross country movement of vehicles or tanks 
is near impossible. Crossing of the mighty rivers we spoke about was only possible on proper bridges. That is why it was very important to choose the campaigning season. What other option can one think of then? Either find a bridge to cross the river or else make own bridges to cross it. To think of it on the whole, this region of East Pakistan was extremely difficult to deal with because of so many rivers flowing through it. Hats off to our forces who broke through this seemingly impossible task. They used all their resources that they had at hand and found an opportunity in this challenge. We shall surely hear about how they made all this possible. But before that, let us understand what other threats stood in our way. Other than Pakistan, we have a major enemy and that is China. This country has held to heart a feeling of animosity against India due to the border dispute. And ever since we gave refuge to the Dalai Lama after the issue at Tibet, China has not missed an opportunity to confront India. China had overpowered us in the Indo-China War of 1962. We are under constant threat in the areas of Ladakh, Sikkim, Nefa, or Arunachal Pradesh. We had to guard our frontiers, which were against our old adversary. Siliguri was one such place where we were very vulnerable. The Siliguri belt was better known as the chicken's neck, a narrow corridor of 22 kilometers between Nepal, Bhutan, and East Pakistan. Any move by Chinese in this area would have affected our plans in East Pakistan. Apart from all these enemies, there were another crucial angle to this war of the East. This enemy was very different from Pakistan or China. This enemy was none other than the rebels of the Northeast, the Nagas, Manipuris, and the Mizos. They were creating trouble in the areas of Nagaland and Mizoram. The highlight of this matter was that these insurgents were extensively supported by the ISI of Pakistan. Their bases were in East Pakistan. These insurgents would carry out terror activities in India and then go hide safely at their base in East Pakistan. Under this pretext, if we could enter East Bengal, we would have an opportunity to grab these terrorists. Our strategy of war would be successful only when we had destroyed every enemy, internal and external, that was threatening us. How many Pakistani soldiers were actually there in East Pakistan? There were four divisions. One division comprised of around 16,000 soldiers. This means that there were around 64 to 65,000 soldiers in action there. This posed a challenge for the Pakistani army chief, Lieutenant General A.A.K. Niazi, to fight a war in this scenario. His soldiers, who were accustomed to the Sindhu, Ravi, Satlaj rivers, were totally unfamiliar with the region surrounded by the Padma, Jamuna, Meghana rivers. But this was not all. They had greater challenges which lay ahead. They had difficulties in communicating with West Pakistan. They had to face the protest and rebellion of the locals supported by Mukti Bahini. They had lost the sympathy of the local people and worst of all, battle in an unfriendly terrain. They were certain that the Indian army was going to attack them. They knew that they had to muster all their forces to stop the Indian army. 
they then adopted a strategy of holding the Indian army back and not letting them advance. They proposed to hold all the bridges running across the rivers too. But Niazi was unable to make a decision as to hold Dhaka in strength or use the force to stop the Indian forces at the borders. If we are to place ourselves in his shoes, we will realize how difficult and challenging this dilemma was to handle. Both the ends had their own risks involved. Finally, General Niazi arrived at a decision after a series of meetings. He decided that the Indian army should be confronted at the border itself. The entire Pakistani forces were spread out across various posts at the border and communication centers of the borders. To cover the entire borders of East Pakistan with the limited force he had was a Herculean task. Due to his strategy, he had to essentially disperse his troops on ground, thus making them vulnerable to be bypassed and enveloped by the Indian army, thus cutting off his defensive formations. His strategy of holding the borders had a heavy price tag for the Pakistani army in East Pakistan. Let us see the planning process on the Indian side. Many people contributed valuably in the planning of this war. Two such names were the General Officer Commanding-in-Chief of the Eastern Command, General Jagjit Singh Arora, and Chief of Staff, J.F.R. Jacob. They used to meet often for discussions during this period. Let us see if we can slide these thick curtains of time under military discipline and see some shades of these meetings. Correct, Jakes. You're right. The terrain will dictate to us the right way to attack in the east. Yes, sir. If we are to attack in this region, we must have superiority of numbers. We must overwhelm them at the point of contact. Yes, on top of it, it is such a slushy region, this East Bengal. We can't rule out the possibility that Dhaka will end up becoming another Stalingrad for us. Very true. I realized one thing while I was studying the topography of East Pakistan. That there are three rivers which meet near Dhaka and then finally enter into the sea. The entire province can be divided into three different parts because of these three rivers. They are flowing in from three different directions. Clearly, East Pakistan can be divided into four sectors based on the flow of its rivers. On top, the northwest, I mean, this is close to Siliguri. It has an important center of communication, Bogra, which is located here. This could help us savor the west of East Pakistan. We have our 33 corps responsible for this sector. And uh, next is this western sector. Closer to a headquarter, Calcutta, it allows us to tackle Jessore and opens up the west approach to Dhaka. This will be looked after by Tapi Raina's two corps. The next one is the southeast region where you find towns of Chanpur and Silhet. This very strategic sector has the potential to allow us an access into Dhaka from the east. Sagat Singh's four corps is responsible for operations in this sector. And finally, the northeast sector. In my mind, the northeastern approach from this sector is the fastest route to Dhaka. 
enemy is deployed in strength at maimen singh and things that we will find the going very difficult but a vertical envelopment here i mean a para drop here could turn the tables on pak army and open the gates to dhaka our problem is we do not have enough forces to come along this approach we have asked for additional force but it is very unlikely we may get it given the situation on our western front i recommend we convert our administrative formation at chilong the 101 communication zone into a fighting formation general gill is very competent officer and he assures me he is most willing to take up that challenge jakes i like what you propose and i am okay with the broad contours of these force levels as of now what we must focus on is the communication centers that they have and to take them under our control we need to focus on chittagong mongla and khulna we need to isolate dhaka in such a way that we suffer minimum damage sir our objective should be dhaka that should be our main focus of operations hmm jakes what you are saying is right too but in order to finish the war of east pakistan soon we need to capture as much as territory as possible if we isolate dhaka in time it will fall on its own you are absolutely right sir it is really difficult to take a decision whether we should advance towards dhaka or rush to take charge of surrounding cities like chittagong jessore khulna and chandpur but i personally feel that if we are planning an attack from all four sectors then it won't take long for us to take on dhaka well jakes we have directives from the army headquarters and they have not mentioned dhaka as an objective they want us to capture the surrounding cities as they feel that the resistance there would be much less than dhaka in their opinion we will not be able to capture dhaka in the short two weeks that we are assured for waging the war before international pressure compels us to cease fire you are correct sir but i feel if we take dhaka the fight will be over and it is the fastest way to get absolute victory in east pakistan i think while we go ahead as desired by the army headquarters we will tell our commanders to keep their eyes and ear open for any opening to dhaka should they find one they should not hesitate to exploit it also we have the navy blockading the east pakistani ports so as not to allow any increase and any movement after the ports very good jakes the navy will definitely play up but there is a huge challenge posed by nature in front of the artillery while in east pakistan in order to move over from one sector to another crossing the rivers is inevitable therefore it is very essential that the infantry first takes over the bridges across the rivers this will facilitate the move of artillery and armor across rivers once that happens the pakistani forces on the other side that is our side will be cut off from the rear 
For this, it is mandatory that we have complete air superiority. Contact the enemy, engage, envelop, bypass and then destroy. That would be the tactics we would use in tackling the enemy. I recommend we take advantage of spread out defenses of the enemy. We make holes in it, enlarge the captured areas, that is the bridgeheads, then outflank the enemy and go behind him while an element of our forces is engaging them so as to cut his escape routes. We destroy the enemy only if there is a need. For as long as the Pakistani troops don't move back, they will not be a threat to us. Our endeavor would be to secure the ferry sites and crossing places on the rivers en route so as to facilitate our reaching Dhaka. Jakes, that makes sense and you have my approval for it. But do not let yourself be vulnerable. The enemy should not trap us in the middle ground. So be careful that in your rush to Dhaka, you should not leave your support elements way behind. Also, tell me what about China front and insurgents in Mizoram and Nagaland. Thank you, sir. China, sir, let me state, I for one do not trust China at all. Our army chief too is worried about China. We must keep our forces at Sikkim and Nefa on high alert. Come what may, we must not move them from their positions. And Jakes, what about the insurgents in the northeast? Yes, sir, we have kept a division minus one brigade for counter-insurgency tasks. The Chief of Staff 57 Mountain Division will lead this ad hoc force. He has been instructed to keep the insurgents away from the East Pakistan border so as not to let them interfere with our operations. Jakes, our plan is very good. I will have it approved from the Chief, Sam Manikshaw. Now ensure you move our forces in their designated places and they are aware of their operational tasks. Let us not waste any time now. Jai Hind. Jai Hind. The task had to be accomplished at the earliest. Destruction of the enemy with the least possible casualties to our own personnel. Contact, engage, envelope, bypass and destroy. Sounds clever, doesn't it? You must have understood the Indian strategy by now. Now it is time to understand how our forces were disposed for this offensive. You must have heard during General Jacob's briefing to the army commander. There were four sectors which were being addressed simultaneously. On three of these sectors, there was corps size force. That is in the northwest, west and southeast. Each of these corps had two divisions at least. Four corps in the southeast had a force worth three divisions. In the north, the 101 communication zone was tasked to advance to Dhaka along with a brigade of infantry and an additional battalion. They were to get to the Para battalion coming under them after seven days of operations. 33 corps under General Thapan was to advance along the northwestern approach 
for the capture of the important communication center of Bogra. The 33 corps had the important task of severing the waste of East Pakistan and isolate the forces north of the waistline so that they do not join the Battle of Dhaka. Two corps under General Rena, later an army chief, was moving along western approach with two divisions to capture Jesor and Magura and secure important ferry sites on two rivers at Faridapur and Golando. Four corps under General Sagat Singh was coming on the southeastern approach. This corps had the very important task of capturing Chandpur and isolating Pakistani forces in the south and east. Most importantly, securing crossing sites on River Meghna at Malvi Bazar, Sherpur and Sadipur. One of the most important part of the plan was a vertical envelopment. A para drop by a para battalion. Two para at Tanagil on the northeastern approach around day 7 of the offensive. This would turn out to be the greatest strategic move as we will see in the future episodes. All this was to concentrate our forces around Dhaka and ensure that Pakistani forces were surrounded from all sides in Dhaka. Two-front war. Hmm. So now everyone was ready for war. Strategies had been planned too. What happened after that? Did everything work out exactly as it was planned? Did we achieve just what we had expected or did we get more? I am too curious to tell you everything about this. What we just heard about in detail in this episode. Two-front war, the planning, the strategy, the brainstorming, the geographical terrain structure. All this will help us understand the further progress of the war in much better light. These are not just thrilling stories of war. But in fact... You will find here all the details of the pre and post scenarios of the war. There are innumerable aspects to this war. You will realize this as we bring to you more and more stories about the war in the months to come. The two front war. It was possible to win the war if all the three wings of the armed forces worked in sync. But did that actually happen? Did the Air Force and Navy come together during the war? Did they play an important part? And if they did, what exactly was their role in this war? We will hear about all this in the next episode. Don't forget to listen. A golden page in the history of the Indian Army. 1971. Our finest hour.